The preachers are weary, the singers are tired. The church as we know it is losing its fire. Some are discouraged from bearing the Lord, but we must determine to keep pressing on. Cause if just one more soul were to walk down the aisle, it would be worth every struggle, it would be worth every mile. A lifetime of labor is still worth it all if it rescues just one more soul. So preachers keep preaching and singers go sing. Laymen keep sharing that Jesus is King. The angels have gathered, they're surrounding the throne. And they'll start rejoicing for just one more soul. Cause if just one more soul were to walk down the aisle, it would be worth every struggle. It would be worth every mile. A lifetime of labor is still worth it all if it rescues just one more soul. Cause if just one more soul were to walk down the aisle, it would be worth every struggle. It would be worth every mile. A lifetime of labor is still worth it all if it rescues just one more soul. A lifetime of labor is still worth it all if it rescues just one more soul. Amen. That's a good song, isn't it? That's a good way to kind of close down our missions conference over this last month, or the missions month, I should say. And one more soul. That's what it's all about, reaching the next soul, the next soul indeed. Well, take your Bible, turn over to the book of Acts, chapter 8. Some big things happening in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. We'll begin there. We're going to read through verse 35. <clears throat> Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26. A teacher asked her students to use the word beans in a sentence. My father grows beans, said one girl. My mother cooks beans, said a boy. A third student spoke up and said, we're all human beings. <laughs> Did you hear about the kidnapping at school? It's okay, he woke up. <laughs> Oh, man, I'm just going to give you this last one, because I know these are extremely inspiring. What's red and bad for your teeth? A brick. 
All right. So anyway, that's not good right there. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. <clears throat> and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shear, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Father, we come to you and we ask that you would speak to our hearts tonight. May you just work and move in our midst. I'm begging you to fill me with your Holy Ghost. Father, no one that's here tonight needs to hear from a mere man. They need to hear from you, the Master. And I pray that, Father, you would allow me to be your mouthpiece tonight. That you'd stand in my shoes. That, Father, you'd anoint every listening ear that they may hear with spiritual ears. And, Lord, may our hearts be inspired and encouraged tonight. Lord, help us, we pray. There's probably not a greater need in this world than to preach Jesus. Help us, Father, we pray now, to glorify you in this service. You're so worthy of it. In Christ's name we pray, amen. amen. <clears throat> Philip had just finished with an amazing revival. We read about it in Acts chapter 8. Earlier in the chapter, beginning in verse 5, it says, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Verse 8 says, And there was great joy in that city. If there's a lack of joy in a life, it's because there's a lack of Jesus in a life. If there's a lack of joy in our culture, our society today, then it's because there's a lack of Jesus in our culture and our society. It is not complicated and it's not tough. It's a very simple issue. The problem is we make it complicated. There are too many other things that we desire and long for and want in our lives other than Jesus Christ, and those things muddy the water in our lives and they cause us to lack the joy that God intended for us. Philip is having an amazing revival. People are being saved. Lives are being transformed and changed. And then the Holy Spirit of God speaks to Philip and tells him to go into the wilderness. And there he's whisked away where ultimately we see that he meets this Ethiopian eunuch. 
The place where he read was found in Isaiah chapter 53. In Isaiah chapter 53, you may turn there if you like, chapter 53 beginning in verse 1. We're going to read the portion that the eunuch was reading. <clears throat> We're going to recognize and understand how Jesus comes up in the conversation. Isaiah 53 verses 1 through 7 says, Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as the root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely... He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is broad as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. The passage tells us in verse 35 of chapter 8. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Boy, this is the work of the evangelist. This is the work of the missionary. This is the work of the preacher. And this is the work of every born-again believer, every child of God, to preach unto them Jesus. We are to preach unto them Jesus. It is not our place to proclaim some cultural or traditional viewpoint. It doesn't mean that if tradition is rooted in Scripture, we should dismiss it. As a matter of fact, we should shore up those landmarks and ensure that they're passed from generation to generation. Issues like the King James Bible and issues like soul winning and ecclesiastical and personal separation along with personal standards that go a long way to protect our testimony and guard our convictions. Still, there have been and are times where our personal preferences take precedent over the Bible. And that's a problem. Elevating and exalting the Lord Jesus Christ is the reason we exist today, and Christ is to be lifted up. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 12, verse 32, he says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. So Christ is to be preached today, even as he was back in Philip's day, even as he was back in Paul's day. We're to preach Jesus. Even as his name was to be on the lips of the apostles, it's to be on our lips even this evening. We must preach Jesus. You say, why is it so imperative? Why is it so important that we preach Jesus? Well, because of what we spoke about a little bit this morning, that He alone is the answer to every problem. You know, listen, we don't turn to self-help books. We turn to a person, Jesus Christ. And He is the way, the truth, and the life. John 5, 39 says, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. You can't turn into this book, the Word of God, without finding Jesus somewhere in it, pretty close to where you turned, if not right there. 
When we think about that Isaiah chapter 53, and as Philip comes alongside that chariot, he's hearing the words that are being read, and he recognizes and understands that it's none other than Jesus that's being referred to and spoken about. Do you understand what you're reading? Do you realize what you're, 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 you're looking at right there? Well, how can I except some man guide me, some man show me, some man reveal to me what's going on here? Philip begins right there at the passage and preaches unto him Jesus, a Savior that died on a cruel cross, a Savior that gave his last breath to salvation's work, to saving your soul and my soul that literally lived his life, died, was buried, and rose again so that you and I could name the name of Christ and be part of the beloved, that heavenly city, New Jerusalem one day even. Jesus alone is the answer. And he is the word, according to John chapter 1. Therefore, he can be found in it. John 14, 6, as we already said, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John Dyer, he was a Welsh poet and pastor from the 1700s. He once wrote this statement. He said, a man may go to heaven without health, without riches, without honors, without learning, without friends, but he can never go there without Christ. And boy, I mean today our world is filled with people who are seeking some other way to God other than the one that requires the blood of Jesus Christ and his precious name. And all those efforts are doomed, doomed to failure because Jesus is the only way to heaven. We can go ahead and complicate it all we want. We can talk about all the things that God would have us do in life. But the truth is, is that getting to heaven isn't about us doing. It's about what he's already done. There is a world perishing. And the solution is found in the same person that Philip preached to the eunuch. That's Jesus. So we need to preach Jesus. And so that's what I really want to focus on tonight or the next few moments. And I want to begin by saying we must preach Jesus crucified on Calvary. Preach him crucified on Calvary. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 35, the Bible says, And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. The Bible goes on in Matthew 27, verse 50 and 51 to say, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And I mean to tell you, when Jesus was crucified that day, it was a, a momentous occasion. It was a unique occasion. But I need to tell you, the Bible tells us that they crucified, they parted his garments, they cast lots for them. And then he yielded up the ghost. Man, that veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. That veil that restricted the priest from entering into the Holy of Holies, that veil that represented sin that keeps us from fellowshipping and interacting and communing with God himself, That thing rent right in half. It was ripped in half. 
picturing the fact that you and I now have perfect access to a holy God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. He put the temple priests out of business that day. They no longer needed to enter the Holy of Holies on behalf of the people. They no longer needed to offer that sin sacrifice that was so needed and necessary in the Old Testament. Jesus, our great high priest, offered himself once and once for all. Now we can come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's amazing to think that you and I have access to God every moment of every day. Can't even wrap our minds around that. 1 Timothy 2, 5, the Bible says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. At the heart of the city of London is Charing Cross. All distances across the city are kind of measured from its central location or point. Locals refer to it simply as the cross. One day, I read of a child who became lost in that metropolis, that city, and a police officer had had basically found the child and recognized that he was struggling to find his way around and he went to the child and he tried to help him return to his family. The officer asked the child a variety of questions trying to somehow identify what part of the city he was from, where to take the boy, where he might live. He had any relatives anywhere in that side of the city but it didn't seem to help. Finally, with tears streaming down the little boy's face, he said, if you could just take me to the cross, I think I can find my way from there. What an apt description of the Christian life. The cross is both the starting place of our new life in Christ, but it's also the place we need to return to time and time again to keep our bearing in this life. We must preach Jesus crucified on Calvary. Number two, we must preach Jesus conquering the grave. Conquering the grave. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 6, you probably know it. Maybe some of you have heard it in all the different Christmas programs and things we've had around here in the past. He's not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. He is not here. He is, for he is risen, as he said. A man was speaking with a, a Brahmin pastor, or priest, if you will, and he asked the question, he said, could you say I'm the resurrection and the life? The priest replied, yeah, yeah, I can say that. And Then he said, but could you make anyone believe it? I mean, you could say you're the resurrection and the life, but can you make anyone believe it? Christ proved his superiority with an empty tomb. And the soldiers rolled that large stone in front of the mouth of that tomb that day, a borrowed tomb. It's interesting that it's borrowed. Obviously, God knew he wouldn't need it very long. There he rolled that stone in front of there and that that guard, that Roman guard, stood before that tomb, ensuring that the disciples could not come and steal the body away and ultimately perpetuate a lie that would prove the resurrection. But even that Roman guard couldn't keep Jesus in the grave. There was no disciples that came that night and overpowered those guards. 
As God himself, Jesus Christ, up from the grave he rose. Can I tell you that Muhammad is dead? Buddha is dead. Confucius is dead. And Moses is dead. And all other religious founders and leaders are dead. But Jesus Christ is alive today. He was dead and now he is alive forevermore, according to Revelation 1.18. Up from the grave he arose. We sing the song, He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Is he alive in your heart today? He needs to be alive in all of our hearts if he's truly our Lord and Savior, he's alive and he's in our hearts. And may I say that all religion, many religions may have said that they're the right way to go, but you don't hear religious leaders saying, hey, our, our leader died and rose again. Well, can I tell you, Jesus did. We need to preach Jesus conquering the grave. People need to know that he's not on that cross anymore. He is not in a grave he is seated at the right hand of the Heavenly Father. He is resurrected, risen from the dead, and alive today. And interceding on behalf of you and I. Number three, we need to preach Jesus coming again. Preach Jesus coming again. Turn, if you would, to 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, we read, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I like that passage in John also, chapter 1, where it says, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And now in 1 John, the writer says, but now are we the sons of God. We're sons of God by placing our personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now are ye the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, Galatians tells us. We exhibited our faith, we exercised our faith in Christ, and as a result we become part of the family of God, the sons of God. And he says, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When he shall appear. Not if, but when. We can read passages over in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We recognize that Jesus Christ is going to return in the clouds, and he's going to take up those who have pushed, put their personal faith and trust in him. It's often referred to as the church, the body of Christ. And when Jesus Christ returns according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that trumpet's going to sound, and up from the grave we're going to come. If you're already dead and if you're alive, you're going to be translated at that very moment to meet him in the air 
and to forever be with the Lord. A gentleman was visiting a certain school and he gave, he decided that he was going to give a prize to the pupil whose desk he found in the best order when he returned and came back. But when will you return? When are you coming back? Some of the students asked. Well, I can't tell you that. I won't, I won't tell you that. A little girl who had been noted for her, well, be pretty sloppy. It's a, it's, they'd say disorderly habits, but she was just downright sloppy. She didn't take good care of her desk. It wasn't very neat and tidy. And she said, you know what? I mean to win that prize. You? You? You're going to win it? Come on. Your desk is always out of order. It's always messy. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to clean it the first. I'm going to clean it. The, the, I'm going to clean it first of the, every week. Every week when I get it, I'm going to clean it. But suppose he comes at the end of the week. Someone said, "Well, then I'll clean it every morning." But he may come at the end of the day. Little girl thought for a minute. And she didn't say a whole lot, and all of a sudden she said, "You know what? I know what I'll do. I'll just keep it clean." Can I tell you, that's how we need to be as believers today. Amen. You realize that Jesus Christ is coming back. And you know, it's easy sometimes to forget that. It's easy to get moving along in life so quickly that we neglect the fact that, hey, he can come back at any moment. And you know what? We, if not careful, can forget even that he is coming back and we fail to preach the return of Jesus Christ. But can I tell you one of the greatest motivating factors in a person's life to trust and receive Christ is the fact that he is coming back. And can I tell you what? I don't want to be left behind. Well, I'll tell you what, we need to preach Jesus coming again. We know he's coming in the clouds, and ultimately we know that he's coming back to earth. We often talk about the return in the clouds where he receives the children of God that have put their faith and trust in him prior to the tribulation period as the rapture. And then after that seven-year tribulation period, he's literally going to come down to the earth. He's literally going to establish himself on the throne of David and rule and reign with a rod of iron for a thousand years. That's called the revelation. They're all part of the second coming. The second coming comes in two phases. The rapture of the church where we go up and out and the revelation where Jesus Christ returns to the earth the same way he left in Acts chapter 1. We need to preach Jesus coming again. And finally, we need to preach Jesus crowned as king. Crowned as king. Turn, if you would, to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, we're going to begin in verse 1 and read through verse 4. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. 
and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them. Judgment was given unto them. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Let me tell you something. He's coming back king. He is going to rule and reign for that thousand years. And the Bible's talking about a time that after that thousand year reign, he'll be, the devil will be loose for a season. But can I tell you, just like he went down early on when Christ returned the first time, I'm telling you, he's going down again. In 1945, Russian and German troops were battling over Budapest. Some Hungarian officers, they fled to Australia, taking with them Hungary's crown of St. Stephen. At that time, it was then 977 years old. And it was the symbol of Hungary. It was given to the first king of Hungary, Stephen I, by Pope Sylvester II in the year 1000. American troops captured the officers and, and they captured the crown and they moved it to Fort Knox, Kentucky. There it was stored for 32 years. When Jimmy Carter was president, the crown was returned to Hungary to its rightful owners and its rightful place. Can I tell you that right now it doesn't seem that Jesus is on the throne and may I say he's really not. The Bible in the book of Corinthians tells us that there's a little G God. Talking about the throne of the world. Oh, I know he's up in heaven seated at the right hand of the Father. But the Bible talks about the God of this world. Little G God. Mankind has dismissed the God of creation and instead placed that little G God on the throne. Can I tell you that the throne, the crown, will be given to its rightful owner. And when Jesus comes back again, he's going to come back the lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen. The Bible says in Revelation 19, 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Oh, he's going to be crowned again. He is going to rule and reign in the city of David, for a thousand years, yes, and for eternity, no one will take that crown from him. You know, like Philip, we need to preach Jesus. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent a, an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need is for forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. See, the world's greatest need isn't improved technology, clean or renewable energy. It's not better, better medical care or even a stronger economy or better paying jobs. No, what it needs more than anything else is a person, Jesus Christ. 
We need to preach Jesus. We need to have Jesus Christ on our lips consistently. It can be intimidating and it can be somewhat difficult at times. We get around certain people and circumstances and we find ourselves clamming up. Boy, we need to preach Jesus because he is really what everyone needs most. Preach Jesus crucified on Calvary. Preach Jesus conquering the grave. Preach Jesus coming again. Preach Jesus crowned as king. Let's just preach Jesus. As we conclude our missions month, that's what it's really about, isn't it? Preaching Jesus. Whether it's here or abroad, it's about getting him to the world. It's not a plan. It's not a prayer. It's a person that they need. Jesus Christ. May God help us to preach Jesus. Father, we come to you. We thank you again, Lord, just for the privilege that we've had, Lord, just to be here tonight, just to take a few moments and to hear from you and your word. Father, help us to commit ourselves to preaching Jesus, to telling family, friends, and loved ones about him, sharing with others that we come into contact with, Jesus, who died for them, was buried and rose again. Father, we love you now. We need you. We thank you for sending someone our way, for giving us the wonderful privilege of hearing the truth of the Word of God and then ultimately receiving and accepting Jesus Christ. And Father, may you just bless this time of invitation and May you just meet our needs. And Lord, as we even take time even now to prepare and ready ourselves for communion even, pray, Lord, that you'd bring to our remembrance areas in our life that need confessed and addressed and dealt with prior to receiving communion. As believers, help us, Lord, to do our best to please you with our lives. We're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Lord, you know that better than any of us. But Lord, help us to have a desire to do what you'd want us to do, to be obedient. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for including us in your family. Lord, help us to ever be grateful and to show that gratitude by the way we live our lives on your behalf. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all